Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. As we go through this holiday season in the midst of a second wave of the coronavirus, it is hard to feel the hope and joy we usually experience. For many Jewish people, Hanukkah may not quite feel the same. And as we know from last week's episode, this holiday is supposed to be a joyful time with family. Normally, the Jewish holidays give us unique opportunities to engage with our Jewish family, friends, and coworkers. But how can we do that effectively during a time of so much suffering? On today's episode, we have invited someone who loves sharing her heart with the Jewish people and builds incredible relationships with them. Kathy Wilson is here to help us find the gospel in Hanukkah and share with us how we can spread the hope of the gospel during this holiday season. Kathy, welcome to Our Hope. Thank you. It's good to be here. So in our little chit chat in the beginning, you mentioned you grew up in New York. You grew up near a particular neighborhood, Arthur Avenue. Yes. Uh, amazing Italian food. Amazing. <laughs> Just, yeah. So tell me, what is your favorite dish from Arthur Avenue? Pizza. <laughs> what else would it be? That's all I knew. Good answer. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, pizza. Everyone knows that pizza is a, has a special place in my heart. Um. So, but as I mentioned, now that I have celiac, I can't have pizza. Um, so I have to make my own crust and if, I if I want it, you can't even have pizza. No, no. Mm -hmm. Oh no. The gluten-free crust. Yeah. Right. Gluten-free crust. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, welcome to our hope. We're so excited to have you. Um, can you briefly share how you became involved with, uh, sharing the gospel with Jewish people and chosen people ministries? Yes. Yes. Thank you for asking that, uh, through drama. 
Drama. And I don't mean the drama of life, but that's <laughs> in my heart for Jewish people through a drama troupe that I auditioned for uh-huh. at our church. This is in 1991. And in a, a drama audition, you come with a, a monologue mm-hmm. that's memorized. So I brought the Fiddler on the Roof Yenta monologue. <laughs> And I delivered that. I was accepted into the drama troupe and everyone thought I was Jewish. And we're talking Arizona here. (laughs) Different than the Bronx. Yeah. And um, I was cast as a Jewish person in so many sketches and plays. And as I portrayed the Jewish people, God gave me such a love for them and began bringing many Jewish non-believers into my life. Mm. Um, So God gave me the opportunity at that point in the early 90s to begin a Jewish ministry at our home church. There hadn't been one previously. And then that extended to other churches in the Phoenix metropolitan area. And I first became um, connected with chosen people after Mitch Glazer contacted me. (laughs) It always starts with Mitch Glazer. (laughs) No, I thought you might say everyone I speak to, it always starts with Mitch. And then Mitch got a hold of me. (laughs) Right. Well, and I had attended Bible college with Mitch Mm -hmm. in New Jersey. So um, at at that time, after speaking with Mitch, I joined as a volunteer under the VIP program. And then in 1999, 1999, became a missionary. That is awesome. Do you recall your first... uh, experience or understanding of Hanukkah? Oh, that's a good point. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Not a comprehensive understanding. But in the Bronx, in in my grammar school, in Glee Club, we sang Oh Hanukkah. (laughs) And we sang Miyamalel, who can retell, you know, who can retell the things that befell us, who can count them, Hanukkah song. Yeah. So I started asking some questions because most of my classmates were Jewish. That's great. So we're going to jump into this week's episode. Uh, You know, last week we talked about the historical backdrop of Hanukkah um, Mm -hmm. and and some of those things. But today we're kind of discovering the gospel in Hanukkah. So last week's episode, you know, we learned that after the events of Hanukkah, (laughs) when Israel restored the temple, they also restored the priesthood. But the high priest also became the king of Israel, which is not allowed in Torah. So how did this ultimately point to our need for a different high priest and king altogether? It's amazing. I did a little more digging, too. And Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, after the cleansing and rededication of the temple, um, the Maccabees uh, became that uh, Hasmonean dynasty, mm. and there was no Davidic king. We know that from before, anyway, no Davidic king since the Babylonian captivity. And the office of the high priest was the most powerful office. So, what I found had happened was the ruling body, the ruling Jewish body, had made Simon Maccabee the high priest. But he wasn't even qualified for that Hmm. position because he didn't come through the right line. He didn't come through the descendants of the family of Zadok. And then the Great Assembly not only made him the high priest, but they said, well, it it would pass through those family lines, which weren't the qualified family lines. Hmm. Then they made him ruler. 
the overall ruler, like a kingship, but not a kingship over the Jewish people. But then I found in the uh, first book of Maccabees, which is not in most Bibles, first Maccabee 4, 37, that there was an until clause, which is really interesting. Um, an until clause in this ruling that was written by the great assembly that stated that the Hasmonean authority would continue until a true prophet would arise. Mm. Wow. And I thought, yeah, that is really indicating the need uh, for a different high priest and king altogether. So moving forward during the time of the Hasmoneans, there was so much, and there's nothing new under the sun, <laughs> so much in, intrigue and such a power grab mm. which resulted in spiraling downward in successive generations. And there was one within the Hasmonean dynasty, his name is John Hyrcanus, who grabbed the title of the king. And this really annoyed the Pharisees and corruption, inner corruption worsened. And there were mass executions, including crucifixion of 800 rebels against the Hasmoneans. Many of the rebels were Pharisees. Then the rise of the Roman Empire happened um, in right. 46 BC, and that led to the, uh, the end of the Hasmonean dynasty. And the Roman Senate at that point appointed Herod the Great. Mm -hmm. Uh, king of the Jews, king of Judea. And was he Jewish? No. Mm -mm. Josephus records that Herod's father converted to Judaism and Herod's mother was an Arab princess. And Herod was of Esau's line. He was an Idumean from Edom. So yeah, there was indeed more and more seen obvious to the people the need for a different high priest and king. And um, I like to think of it at this point that we uh, zero in on Micah 5.2's prophecy. Mm -hmm. We're led in scripture to the birth of the one uh, in Bethlehem, Ephratah, who would come and be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Of course, that's talking about Jesus. And I think of Jesus in contrast to what I just mentioned about the Hasmonean dynasty. Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. He fulfilled those three roles. Uh, he is the anointed one. Uh, Jesus, the prophet, has a word from God, a message from God. He is the word. Jesus is the priest. He offered himself. He was the sacrifice. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And Jesus is king of kings. So he's prophet, priest, and king. And so I, I think of it, too, as the unfolding of the word of God, his plan of redemption in the Tanakh. As we read of Israel's history, we see that Israel has always been a nation in waiting. Mm. And we read of so many messianic foreshadowings and direct messianic prophecies. So when Moses was leading the people, he told the people, the Lord, your God will raise up a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. So we know from that scripture, Deuteronomy 18, it was expected that a greater than Moses prophet would arise. And the Messiah would be a priest, but not from the tribe of Levi. He would be one who would be a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek or Melchizedek. 
whose name means king of righteousness. And of David, it was said that his house, his kingdom, and his throne would be established forever. Well, David died, which means that a greater king than David would come. Right. So man's need was always there for uh, the greater prophet, priest, and king, Jesus. So, so Kathy, you've set the stage now for a need for a different high priest and king altogether. And uh, for those of us listening, most of us know that's Yeshua. But I'm just curious, is Hanukkah mentioned in the New Testament at all? Yes, yes. It's in John 10, verses 22 to 23. And we read in that uh, passage, Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And the Feast of Dedication, well, that is Hanukkah. And Hanukkah means dedication. It was winter. I really zeroed in on those three words this week. It was winter. It was the darkest time of the year. And I think of the Jewish people having experienced this oppressive darkness under the Gentile empires who were ruling over them. And in in Jesus' day, I was wondering about the Jewish people. Did they remember the prophets? The prophets had spoken forth about the light that was going to be coming. Did the Jewish people remember even John the Immerser's birth and his birth announcement and what Zacharias said in... uh, Luke 1, verses 77 to 79, he talked about the day spring who would be coming. And that literal uh, meaning for day spring means dawn. Uh, The day spring is the Messiah, the light who would come. Malachi calls the Messiah, the son of righteousness. And I don't mean S-O-N, it's S-U-N, son of righteousness. And to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide their feet into the way of peace. And I wondered if the people remembered, again, what Isaiah had talked about in talking about the government of the sun, which would be in the future. Mm -hmm. And that he foretold that the people who walked in darkness would see a great light. I just think those three words, it was winter, speak a lot to laying the groundwork for what was happening in Israel at that time. And um, Jesus comes on the scene and he's validating Hanukkah. He's authenticating Hanukkah. Mm. And, And in John 10, 24, the Jews surround him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, plainly tell us. And he has been talking about false teachers, false prophets, false shepherds, already. And he explains or he responds to them and says, I told you and you didn't believe. So unbelief was the underlying condition. And Jesus then continues to speak of his sheep and speak of himself as the good shepherd. So how does Yeshua's role as the good shepherd then connect with some of the themes in Hanukkah? Well, I see the major theme as uh, preservation of the Jewish people. It's interesting because I was taking a class at the JCC with my friend, the Jewish Community Center, and and it was Hanukkah Mm -hmm. and it was winter, but not exactly winter in Arizona. 
but the rabbi was asking questions and I answered uh, about the themes and I answered uh, that I believe that the main theme is the preservation of the Jewish people and he didn't agree. So um, I, you know, continued and, and I like, I like, I love what Jesus said in John 10, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And in the area of the Middle East here, sheep pens were made with only one door. And the door for the sheep pens was the shepherd himself. He laid his body across the entrance to keep the sheep in, the sheepfold, and the wolves out. Wow. Oh, isn't that amazing? Yeah. And so, yeah, how beautiful that Jesus is explaining this, that he is the door. Of course, his people would know what he meant. Yeah. And that his sheep would hear his voice. The sheep did not hear the voices of the false shepherds. And um, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill Jesus, that I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And I think of what John said uh, about Jesus, the word that he was the life and the light of men. And when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Yeah, laying down as the door. And, and the good shepherd shows care and compassion and nurturing um, for his sheep. And he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Again, preservation. We've always, in all the feasts of Israel, we've always seen the preservation of the Jewish people, haven't we? Yeah. And um, when Jesus says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And he says, I and my father are one. There are people who say, well, he meant one in purpose, but that one in the Greek means a plural one. It means one in essence. And Jesus just had said, no one can snatch them out of his hand. And he says, no one can snatch them out of his father's hand. They're not just collaborators. They are one in essence. We're talking right. about the triune God. We'll be right back. Shalom. My name is Nicole Vaca, and I'm one of the co-producers of Our Hope podcast. We created Our Hope to be a window into the Messianic community, a place where we can discuss Israel and the Bible, and a resource for people who want to share their faith more effectively and compassionately with the Jewish community. If you are interested in supporting what we do, you can donate to Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com slash donate. You can also support us by sharing this podcast on social media with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for your support, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. This may be a loaded question, but how would you explain Yeshua's deity? I wouldn't start in John 10, 30. 
Well, the Jewish person, I uh, go back and I have done this. I go back to the Shema, mm. Deuteronomy 6, 4, because of course they're going to be familiar with that. Hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And um, I, I tell them I want to start in the Tanakh because that's the foundation. That's our foundation for God. Shema. And the New Testament does not redefine the Old Testament. There are some that might say that, but but I don't. And um, so here we have the word echad in Deuteronomy 6, 1. Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, echad. And that is uh, the word which means a composite one. It's not an absolute one. If it was an absolute one, if if Moses was writing about an absolute one, he would use he would have used the word yachid, but the word echad is used, a composite one, and that causes us to start asking questions. Wow, why does it say that? Um, but moving further into deity in terms of um, uh, Jesus and his incarnation coming to this earth, I go to Isaiah 7, 14, because it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. There are temples, there are synagogues called Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us, or you could say with us is God. And then you can cross reference to Isaiah 9, 6. And we're coming into the Hanukkah Christmas connection here for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and these are the titles that the prophet isaiah was inspired to write the titles for the son who is indeed god with us and then i bring my jewish friends to daniel 7 verses 13 and 14 it's a powerful passage and it starts with Daniel saying, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. And then to him, one like the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Who is this son? There's no one like him. He is God. He is God. And we see this again in Micah 5 too. His preexistence, his coming uh, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from ab everlasting. And then I like to wrap it up in Psalm 2, because we read of God and his anointed, the Messiah, who is the son of God, who is God. It's clearly laid out in Psalm 2 that uh, the anointed one, the Messiah, is the son of God. He is God. 
And God the Father says, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. And if I'm sitting there reading this for the first time and I know the Tanakh, I'm thinking, wait a minute. God doesn't give his glory to another. Mm. Isaiah talks about this Messiah definitely is God. Kathy, before you mentioned the uh, preservation of the Jewish people, um, and that seems to be a recurring thread throughout the Bible. Um, but for Hanukkah, that, that also is a major theme, defeating anti-Semitism. And so as we read this passage in John, we cannot help but notice that the translators keep saying the Jews were against Jesus. Passages like these are sometimes used to fuel anti-Semitism. And Jewish people have pointed to these words as proof that the New Testament is, in fact, anti-Semitic. How would you respond to these claims? And how should we address the church's history of anti-Semitism in light of the events that happen during Hanukkah? Okay. You got a lot of questions going there. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but um, because some of these claims have been voiced to me, uh, I'll share with you how I've responded to my Jewish friends. And firstly, and this is more foundational, I'll ask them if they've ever read the New Testament. Let's start, you know, at the beginning. Right. And the overwhelming response has been no. So I then asked them to go to the Gospel of Matthew and jot down their observations. And why am I doing this when you're asking me about the Gospel of John? Because I, I want to show the Jewish people the Jewishness of the Gospel of Matthew first and then springboard from Matthew to John. And of course, in the book of Matthew, we open it up and it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Yeah. And it's a Jewish context. So springing from there, um, can I tell you a story or not? Yeah. A friend of mine, is Absolutely, that okay? Absolutely, yeah. I have a, a Jewish friend, a man who claimed that the New Testament was anti-Semitic. And he uh, saw that Da Vinci's Last Supper was being displayed in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So he went down to see it. Mm -hmm. And got up to that velvet rope yeah. where you have three seconds <laughs> right. to see the artwork. And he was shocked because he recognized that the painting portrayed Jesus and his disciples at Passover. So he went home. It intrigued him enough. It shocked him enough to go home and found he found a New Testament in his library, this hated book, right? This yeah. anti-Semitic book. <laughs> And he turned to the book of Matthew and he couldn't believe that first verse that Jesus, the Messiah is the son of David, the son of God. Well, he read the entire gospel of Matthew, went through all the gospels, went through Acts, Romans. He went through the epistles, went clear through to the book of Revelation. <laughs> Nobody was witnessing to him. Right. He came to faith in Jesus. Wow. So yeah. Because God, of Da Vinci. <laughs> Yeah, we well. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, that way, but does God use God is amazing. Yeah, God is yeah. amazing. But when you um, talk about, it, I have a personal experience with Gospel of John too, yeah. and the uh, the stating of the Jews, the Jews, and it indeed looks negative from the outside or from the surface, from the surface. And but and in John 5, 16 and 18, and also John 7, it reads, and you know this, that the Jews sought to kill Jesus. So mm -hmm. we see opposition to Jesus. 
and we can say, okay, Jesus is Jewish. So there's opposition within the family of Jewish people. Right. So it's not really referring to anti-Semitism per se, you know, John is the Jewish man and using the term, the Jews, was he talking about all Jewish people in every scenario? No, he was talking about a specific group of Jewish people within a specific context, within a specific uh, time in opposition to Jesus. But you've got Jesus telling the woman at the well in Samaria, salvation is of the Jews. That wasn't negative. Uh, Jesus is identified as being a Jew in that same exchange with a woman in Samaria. And then many of the Jews believed in him. That's not negative either. So we've got to take this into consideration and uh, note the context and note that the negative, um, what people see as negative, there was opposition, but it was in the family of Jewish people. And you know what, when you go through, uh, it was in the family of the Jewish people being opposition to Jesus, Jesus being Jewish and the religious leadership being Jewish. You've got Moses saying negative, making negative comments about the Jewish people, Jewish Moses. You have Isaiah, the Jewish prophet Isaiah, the same thing we find in Isaiah 1 and throughout the book of Isaiah. Same with Ezekiel, comments, negative comments, rebellious people, not listening to God. These men, they were Jewish. They were not anti-Semitic. They loved their people. So again, it's just on, it seems to be um, coming from left field, perhaps ruling it, but I can, I, I'm going to share my personal experience with this. Okay. Years ago at our church, our senior pastor was preaching on the gospel of John. And when he read those specific passages about the Jews, he was so careful to lay out the context and tell the people in the congregation, many visitors came to our congregation, many still do, that the Jews, that terminology, it was not referring to all the Jewish people. It was referring many times to the religious leadership coming against the Jewish Jesus. Well, on one Sunday, our pastor wasn't there and he gave the pulpit over to an associate pastor. Mm -hmm. And there was a baby dedication that day. And one of the couples dedicating their child was a father of a, uh, was a Jewish believer. The father was a Jewish believer. And he invited all his Jewish relatives to the baby dedication. Oh, I know where this is going. (laughs) So here, this associate pastor is speaking from the Gospel of John. And it was during a heated uh, conversation, the passage that he was uh, sharing. And he did not describe, he did not explain that this was um, in relation to the opposition that yeah. the people, but this does not mean all Jewish people at all times. Well, that's not, of course, that the, the relatives of the father of this baby, they were extremely upset Yeah, and they contacted their rabbi and they complained about our church, but lo and behold, <laughs> their rabbi was a good friend of our senior pastor. And our church had sent 
uh, flowers to the synagogue when they came into our neighborhood because our Jewish ministry had suggested that that might be a good thing. <laughs> and it led to the rabbi and our senior pastor meeting for coffee and schmoozing, and it was great. So when the rabbi heard this, he said, no, he said, they're not anti-Semitic. I know them full well. And they love the Jewish people. I got chills even explaining this <laughs> because there's that bonding yeah. uh, relationship that should begin. Always talking about Jesus, but that bonding that should be there and that love for the Jewish people. So um, that's great. Yeah, that's it's great. huge. Relationship is so important. For relationship yeah. first, you know. So we're in the middle of Hanukkah. And we might be seeing some decorations as we um, socially distance walk outside, <laughs> you know. Um, are there any Hanukkah symbols or traditions that illustrate the gospel? Yes, yes. You know, and as a Gentile believer in Jesus, the Hanukkah strikes me as the most graphic Hanukkah picture of deliverance, of redemption, of the answer to the sin that is in the world, that's in our lives. And I'm thinking of even the lighting of the menorah, the very outset when that, at, at sundown, uh, the era of Hanukkah, uh, when the first candle is lit by the shamus candle, it reminds us that the world is dark and i think that's where we need to start when we talk to anybody about the gospel and uh, the world is dark because of sin and god's kingdom is light um, and god is light there's no darkness in him at all that's what the jewish disciple john wrote and i love that at all he just didn't leave it was in him is light and there is no darkness, he said, at all. He really wanted his readership to get the message. So the Hanukkah, as I look at it, not that I'm looking at it right now, but as I envision it, it's got nine branches. And um, there are eight branches, and the ninth branch is the shamus branch, and it holds, it cradles the shamus candle, the servant candle, and that represents God's provision. God reveals himself. God always reveals himself. In the Tanakh, we see this so clearly, and God always provides. And God's provision is the suffering servant and that shamus candle that is either raised up on the Hanukkah, it's exalted, or it's higher than the other branches, or it's positioned in a way that it's set apart from the other branches. Mm. And those words, I'm, I'm careful to use those words because it tells us of Jesus, the Messiah, the creator who is set apart from his creation. As a suffering servant, he was raised up on the cross as our sin bearer to pay the penalty for our sin. And he will be exalted as king when he returns. And so in that Hanukkah, you've got the whole gospel. Uh, wrapped up and and uh revealed and provided for us to to know uh and to embrace and i think of jesus laying down his own life as we spoke about before as the shepherd the good shepherd laying himself down as the door 
Um, he is our provision. He is our substitute. But he came to die for us to take away our sin. And his destiny was the cross. And this is a picture of unconditional love. So here I'm using the Hanukkah yeah. and continuing that. And I like to tell people that Jesus didn't come as a role model. I heard someone say that, oh, Jesus is our role model. So he is so much more. He came to perform a surgical operation on our hearts to change us forever internally. So, and two, I tell my Jewish friends, if there have been no Hanukkah, no preserving of the Jewish people, um, no rescuing them from annihilation, there would be no birth of the Messiah, no, no Christmas. The birth of the one who came to say, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you eternal life. I will reconcile you to God. So much so that you could say, especially for in the Hanukkah season, that you could say, Neskadol Haya Ho. Instead of just saying, Neskadol Haya Sham, a great miracle happened there. You could say, Neskadol Haya Ho, a great miracle happened here in my heart. Because mm. that's what Hanukkah is all about. That is beautiful. And I think of the oil at Hanukkah too, um, the oil that was uh, found the one vial of oil as the Talmud tells and the oil speaks of the Holy Spirit um, who empowers us and I think of God saying in Zechariah 4 6 not by not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord and one last thing I love the song Ma'otzor mm -hmm. uh, Rock of Ages and for any of you who are listening, that's not Rock of Ages, that's in the Christian <laughs> hymnals. <laughs> but when I first heard that song and learned it, I thought that is the gospel right there because it speaks of the saving power of God. Um, the words are Rock of Ages, let our song praise thy saving power. Thou amidst the raging foes wast our sheltering tower. Furiously they assailed us, but thine arm, the right arm of God, talking about the Messiah, availed us. And thy word, Jesus is the word, and thy word broke their sword when our own strength failed us. And then it repeats that line. And I think of what the rabbis would say about the word in Aramaic. The word is memra. And, you know, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The rabbis taught that Memra was the same as God, but distinct. But then they could not explain what distinct meant. So, yes, definitely. In the traditions, in the symbols, there is uh, the gospel that's screaming out. Kathy, as we are in this Hanukkah season, as you mentioned before, we're also in winter or approaching winter. It's the darkest, physically the darkest time of the year. It's so interesting that the parallel of just what's happening in the world, things are just out of control. Just when we thought things would kind of get better or improve, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. What are some practical ways that we as believers in Jesus can pray for and encourage Jewish people in particular during this 
this Hanukkah season? We could think of what Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and I say that in a sense, jokingly and not jokingly, because, you know, when I started with the Hasmoneans, I said the inner corruption was intense uh, with the high priest and the king, etc. And always God has restored to the point of not the future restoration that he's going to bring to Israel, but yeah. Israel continues to exist. I have a lot of Jewish friends that, that are concerned about Israel. And so I bring them through the Tanakh and show them their glorious future. And um, we've, we see this in every feast that God gave to Israel. Um, ask them uh, in, in terms of practical ways that we can get involved more so. Ask if you can join them in their celebration of Hanukkah, if right. they would invite them to their celebration and then share the, the gospel as God, as you're being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, uh, bouncing off the, their decorations and their symbols. Ask if they can show you how to make potato latkes. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. Yeah. And ask if you can play a game of dreidel yeah. with them. Uh, ask them to explain why they're uh, celebrating Hanukkah. And of course, all these askings, it's not an interrogation, but you know yeah. what? It's showing them that you're interested in their holiday. You're yeah. interested in them. You need to listen to them and hear what they're saying and where the Holy Spirit takes you after that. Share your understanding of the Shamus candle with them and tell them if there was no Hanukkah, there would be no Christmas. Well, Kathy, thank you so much uh, for your time. And yeah, man, you are, you are thorough. <laughs> uh, it was great to hear from you and to, to learn so much from you about finding the gospel in Hanukkah. I, I know I, I feel excited to continue through this season. So thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Can I share one more thing? Oh, and yeah, that's it. For sure. Okay. My favorite verse is for Christmas is Galatians 4 4 in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law and I'll say to my Jewish friends that Hanukkah is one of those pieces a significant piece a most significant piece in God's fullness of time mm -hmm. and again giving them hope I'm praying that they will definitely have hope tikva in uh, understanding how Hanukkah fits and how Hanukkah ends, how their glorious future will look. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks, Abe. During this season of darkness, Hanukkah, the festival of lights, is a constant reminder that there is hope. Maybe you have been wondering where you can find hope during this challenging time and you are searching for answers. Well, we have a free booklet for you called Hanukkah, A Bright Light in Dark Times. As you read this booklet, you will discover how this holiday ultimately points to our greatest source of hope. And you can download it now for free at ourhopepodcast.com slash Hanukkah.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. This episode was made possible thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Kathy Wilson, Nicole Vaca, Grace Sui, Kyron Bautista, and Yaron Cherniak for singing the Shema in this episode. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHoPodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. See you next time.